Welcome to the Center of Everywhere podcast, where we explore stories of rural Minnesotans who are making a difference in their communities. Rural isn't in the middle of nowhere. It is in the center of everywhere. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 9 of the Center of Everywhere podcast. We are the Center for Rural Policy and Development, and we do this podcast to help you understand better the research that we do and rural issues. Uh, today, we are going to be talking with Kelly Ash, our intrepid uh, research senior researcher, and we're going to be talking about his latest research project, looking at the education formula, as we usually call it. But that's not the actual name for it. What is the technical name for it, Kelly? Yeah, it's the General Education Revenue Program. Right. Okay. And this is the program, the formula, if you will, that the state legislature uses to allocate state funding to our K-12 schools. And Kelly just did a report on this, an extensive report looking at how this actually works. There's always a lot of discussion every year about when, when the topic of bringing up increasing funding or whatever, anything with the education formula, there's always this discussion of who's going to benefit more from it. Oh, it's going to favor urban districts. Oh, it's gonna favor rural districts. And so Kelly decided to get to the bottom of this and figure it out. And so Kelly, what's actually going on with this and and why was it important that we look into this? Yeah, it's always interesting. I think anybody that works with legislators around education funding every year probably kind of shakes their head because it's this whole redo of educating all the new legislators, legislators that are unaware of the education formula um, about the complexity of it. And, and that's really the issue at hand here is that it's a very complex program the way we distribute funds to school districts across the state um, occurs in a very convoluted, complex way, but it does that for a reason. And it's interesting because, you know, anyone that says, well, they, you know, that program is really unfair. It redistributes funds unequally across school districts. And even that, even though that's harsh to say, they're not wrong. Um, it really does distribute funds unequally because it does it by design. It's designed to um, because of the approach that the state has decided on funding uh, general education across the state. And it's important to know, like if we give a broad overview of the general education revenue program, is that it, that makes up about 60 to 80 percent of funds that each of a school district receives. So there's other kind of revenue pots outside of the general education revenue program, but that's that's the biggest piece. It's it's, it's very, very large. A and significant impact on districts then. Any conversation around tweaking, making changes to the, let's call it the education formula, um, means big changes in terms of the revenue that our, our school districts are going to receive provide an education. And I think like the biggest thing that legislators need to know and anyone that is covering education or cares about it or wants to know more about it is its purpose. And its purpose comes in two different, like two different points. Let's, let's put it that way. And in the report, um, we say that one, step one is that it provides baseline 
of funding to each district. So if we start there and let's say we have a school district, we have two school districts and one school district is in an area with, with a lot of property tax or with a lot of uh, high property values, like in the Western suburbs of the Twin Cities right there, renowned for having the, the highest property values. But let's also say rural areas that have lakes in it, very high property values around there as well. So those school districts can get property tax revenue much more in a much larger uh, amount than let's say a school district that is fairly rural, doesn't have high property values, maybe a lot of agriculture, um, but really just can't get the revenue. So what the education formula says is, one, we're gonna give all the school districts just this baseline funding. So we're gonna give you what's called the basic education revenue. And that's one piece of the, of the education formula. So every school district gets, uh, this is FY22 numbers, uh, $6,728 per pupil unit. Um, and so that gives everybody the same amount of chunk. And then school districts can go to their local properties and gather more money. And now you can start to see that uh, school districts with higher property values are going to be able to get a little bit more. And so on a per pupil basis, they're going to get quite a bit more than, let's say, a district that's getting the 6728 but it can't, it can't get the same amount of property tax that, uh, uh, revenue that the higher property value district can. And so then you have this discrepancy. Right. Uh, and where you if, oh, and I was just going to say, and if the low value school district wanted to get that same amount of property taxes, they would have to really jack up their property tax rates. Yeah. Right? Yep. And yeah. it has to go through a, a voter referendum, right. uh, which isn't easy to pass. Right. In a rural area. And so uh, what the state of Minnesota does is says, you know what, don't worry about it. We are going to equalize this funding and we're going to provide those districts some more to make up that gap so that they're even. So higher property value districts um, are equal to lower property value districts. So that's step one. When they call that equalization, so you have the base funding, the 6,728 that goes to every school district, and then other school districts will get a little bit more to equalize the funding. Now there's another step, and I think this is a step that I think people get confused about, is that the state of Minnesota go in this in the general education revenue program goes one step further and says, you know what, we're going to acknowledge that it costs more to teach some students than others. And it, it can have to do with the characteristics and the attributes of that student, but it also has to do with the characteristics and the attributes of that school district. For example, up in northern Minnesota, we have very large school district boundaries where they're covering a lot of geographic area with not a lot of students in it. It means you have high overhead, but not a lot of students. And so the economies of scale just can't be made. And so for those students to kind of receive the same um, quality of education compared to another school district that has high economies of scale, the state then throws in additional funding for what we would call high cost districts. Um, and, and that's where things get a little out of whack, because if we were to look at it as a per pupil unit um, um, funding structure, some school districts are getting quite a bit more per pupil than other school districts. And at face value, it looks very unequal. Um, but that's the approach. And that's why they do it. And this goes back to historically the Minnesota miracle. Um, it really is kind of that was the foundation. It's been tweaked and built on since then. But that was one of the big the big pieces. So now the since everybody is getting that same 
initial chunk of money that's the same. And then there is the property tax that's getting equalized. Where does that, uh, where does the, what you might say, quote, unequal part of money come from in the formula? The, the formula is made up of several different components, right? Yeah, correct. So when we talk, it's funny, when we say the education formula, we should say education formulas, um, plural, because the, edu the general education revenue program is actually comprised of 14 different components, and each component has its own formula. And really what the program, the entire education formula is trying to do is account for all these different ways in which school districts have higher costs, or, um, depending on their geography, depending on their student composition, the age of their facilities, um, depending on their ability to raise revenue through local property taxes. Like it's trying to account for all these different aspects. And so that's really where, I mean, when the rubber meets the road, um, that's where the differences occur. And so a lot of that uh, unequal inequality part of the funding is in just five components, right? And there are four components that are tied to that uh, general education baseline block of money, right? How does how does that work? Because I think that's the part that really throws everybody off. Yeah, that's exactly right. So out of the 14 components, there's really five components that make up 85 to 99% of the funding that each school district is getting from the general education revenue program. So really only five components make up the vast majority of that entire program. And those five are the first one being the basic education revenue. That's the $6,728 that goes to, uh, to per pupil to every school district. So that's baseline funding. And that's a big piece. That's, that's a very big piece. The other components that are a big proportion are what one called basic skills compensatory. So this is um, funding for school districts uh, that they receive depending on the proportion of their student body that's on free and reduced lunch. Like a lot of education research shows that, you know, if students come from a poverty type setting, they require a bit more services or resources in order to kind of have access to the same quality education that uh, other students might have. Uh, another component is called sparsity. Sparsity is that economies of scale. If you're serving a large geographic, uh, you know, square mileage area district, um, you can't meet the economies of scale, but you still need to have, you know, you have few students, but you still need to have the building, the gymnasium, the heating, like all those kinds of overhead. Um, and so there's a little, that component kind of kicks in a little bit more money to help cover some of those higher costs. Another one is called uh, that's very similar is transportation sparsity. So that is if you have buses running all over the place to pick up uh, very few students, it helps cover for higher transportation costs. And then the last one is declining enrollment. Um, and so that's to make up if a school district is losing its students uh, from year to year. It kicks in just a little bit extra to help buffer the loss that they would receive because they have less students. They're getting less basic education revenue because of those less students. So this just kind of helped make up for some of that loss. So those five are the big pieces and they're all linked together. 
So it's important to know, like, whenever the legislature talks about increasing revenue, they typically talk about increasing the basic education uh, revenue formula or allowance or, you know, the, the, the allowance in that basic education. So that $6,728 per pupil, um, that is one component, but that is linked to the basic skills compensatory to sparsity, transportation sparsity, and declining enrollment. So at the legislature, they typically talk about increasing one component, but when you're talking about increasing one component, you're actually talking about increasing five components total. Um, and I think that's where some of the confusion lies in terms of, oh, you know, if we're increasing one component, you know, is that enough? That doesn't seem like very much. And if when I, we increase this one component, which is supposed to be equal $6,728 per pupil across the district, yet it seems like the it increases unequally across the districts. And it's because it's tied to these five other components or yeah, these five components are tied together. Right. And so what, what do you hope people get out of this report or, or what do you hope they do with this report? Well, so I think some of the narrative around, let's just say when you have complexity, when things are confusing, um, this program is very nuanced. Um, narratives get developed that probably aren't entirely accurate, right? So you kind of, you know, at the beginning of the episode brought up like, oh, you know, the metro areas are getting more money than the rural areas. And, um, or, you know, this program all it does is try to keep small rural schools open uh, when they should probably close. You know, that's another common narrative you, you typically hear. And I think one of the big takeaways is that this formula, it's one of the few formulas I've seen that actually really do take into account the higher costs and economies of scale that rural school districts face. Like we have one map in our report that shows the amount of general education revenue program each school district receives per pupil unit. And if, if any person looked at that and didn't fully understand the formula, they would look at that and be like, my goodness, rural school districts are getting a lot of money per pupil from the general education revenue program. And they'd be right, right? And they, if you didn't know about the revenue program, you'd be upset and be like, this doesn't seem fair. But if you dig in and understand why it's doing what it's doing, it makes sense. And it actually does consider what it takes to educate students in some of our more rural school districts. And so this, and it's also important to understand that this cuts across Metro and rural. It's one of the few programs where I've seen like Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, they, that those two school districts get quite a bit of um, general education revenue program per pupil. That, that's very comparable to a lot of our most really rural school districts because they have high a proportion of students that are on free and reduced lunch. And so they get a little bit more money for that to help uh, cover the cost of that. Whereas in Northern Minnesota, those districts get a little bit more in sparsity funding um, to help cover high costs there. Like it's cutting across a lot of different districts and it's more, it's more about can a district get, um, uh, be able to get the revenue locally or not? And if it can't, the general education revenue program tries to help out those districts out. And so it's really trying to make it even for all students and their ability to access quality education, 
rather than being equal to the school districts, rather than being equal to the taxpayers, rather than being equal to property taxpayers. Like it doesn't view fairness and equality through that. It views it through the sense of what does it take for a student to have access, knowing that every student costs more. Uh, each student, some students may cost more than others, if that makes sense. Yes, it <laughs> that's, does. That's kind of like the big takeaway. It's, it, it's really trying to... Yeah, like you said, it's trying to equalize access to the same level of quality of education for all students across the state. It's not trying to make it make the dollar amount equal. It's trying right. to make that access equal. So, and it's really one of those programs where you have to stomach the idea that yes, yeah, more some school districts are getting more than others, and that's okay. You need to and be that's okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, because that's a, tough, a, that's a tough pill to swallow. I know, but yeah, because this is the way it is. Because because a lot of what we do and what we talk about here, um, in comparing rural to urban, is we talk about economies of scale, and we talk about how there are a lot of things in the world that just don't scale in rural. You have you know transportation costs, wastewater treatment plants. You know, everything has, you know, everything has overhead, local government. And so you have, when you have local government and a million people paying for it, it's going to be a lot cheaper per taxpayer than local government and 2,500 people paying for it. And so in that way, things just don't scale. And have you seen another, you know, in, in your rural research over your career, have you seen another policy that really handles that whole issue of scalability like this one seems to? I have not. When It's funny. I didn't, to be completely honest with the listeners, I didn't have a ton of background or knowledge about the education formula when we headed into this. So I kind of expected to see like disparities between you know, rural school districts not being able to meet the needs and or anything like that. And we, in our research, this research, to be clear, doesn't try to answer that question, but rather explain its purpose and why it distributes funds the way it does. Mm -hmm. And I've never seen anything like this. I'm sure there are others, right? Like, you know, we we haven't seen everything. Probably. We just haven't found does. them yet. Yeah. <laughs> but it does. I mean, it's it's really it's complex for a reason. I think you and I joked, you know, when I was digging into this, I'm like, I don't, are there some nerds in the Department of Education basement? Yeah, there are like, like two people in the basement formulas. there that know understand it was really how impressive. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was impressive. I really enjoyed looking at this. And, you know, also to be clear, like, we're not advocating any sort of changes or, or increases to anything, but more just an explanation as to like, this is why the, the, the formula works the way it does, why it looks unequal. Um, and it could be that the formulas themselves are flawed. You know, it could be that, yeah, these this isn't meeting the needs at all. Or it could be that it is providing too much per district to rural, like it, it overestimated what the actual costs are. We don't we don't know that uh, if through this report and through our research yeah. it was more and, just like this is what it looks like. And this is what the purpose is. So, yeah. And, and I don't think you can say that oh, it's providing this district too much money because every district is different every year and they don't know until the end of the year and they, you know, go back and review their budgets, whether they, you know, got, quote, enough money or not. But yeah. just as a, a formula for di distributing funds, 
this does it seems to work well in the whole rural and urban continuum. Well, I think one way to put it is that I was uh, it's impressive in all the wit factors it tries to take into account in providing an education. Yes. That's what impressed me was like yes. it really does try to think through a lot of different ways in which costs can be different to educate students. And that was very, very interesting. And, mm -hmm. you know, from a nerdy policy research, it was kind of cool. Like, I really liked yeah. it. I it, I have a lot of respect for that program and the people oh, that, that do that. A lot that of respect for the people that put that together. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. That was what, back in the 70s, 60s? I think 70s? pieces of it, right? Yeah, there's been yeah. pieces added on uh, since then. But, the you know, during the Minnesota Miracle, I that think was that core part. Yeah. Yeah. That idea that we're going to equalize funding. Um, try to also like it's it's worth noting that it was also an attempt to like that really came about because property taxes were skyrocketing across the state too to fund education like it was really left up to local districts to try and figure out mm -hmm. how to raise the revenues and so the Minnesota Miracle came in to kind of say like whoa 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 all right we're going to relieve some of our property taxpayers of this burden we're going to use income tax and sales taxes to help fund education across the state but we're also going to do it in a way where it, it, you know, it's unequal a little bit and, and equalize and, and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It seems to work. Well, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, anything else? No, if anybody has any questions about it, um, I'll try to answer any nuanced questions behind it. Again, we're not uh, education experts, but we know people that are. Um, yes. So we can get you into the right meeting with the right people uh, to help understand it better. Right. Yes. Yeah, so the full report is on our website at ruralmn.org. And then there is a two-page summary of it. A... Uh, a recorded webinar, or it's not a webinar. We decided not to do a webinar on this one, but you recorded a, a presentation of it so people can, you know, get a visual of, of how this all works. And then you also have a related blog post on the right. website and this podcast. So anyone can go on over to our website and check it all out at ruralmn.org. You've been listening to the Center of Everywhere podcast, where we explore stories of rural Minnesotans who are making a difference in their communities. Rural isn't in the middle of nowhere. It is in the center of everywhere. Everywhere.